The following audio is via a Skype call. Welcome to Talk Cosmos, the show where Sue Rose Minahan and guests unveil astrology's ancient archetypes that continually build the collective experiences in our unconsciousness. Get ready to find your free will from your roots in the stars. I'm Sue Rose Minahan, host of Talk Cosmos, and today is December 8th, 2018, and we're discussing Sagittarius for the third of four weeks. And today's subject is actually publishing the Sagittarius Arrow. To remind you, Jupiter is in its year cycle in its own sign of Sagittarius, and on a global collective Sagittarius energy that is symbolized by the half-man centaur archer pointing to the beyond, seeking truth. We're all traveling on this mental excursion physically or mentally to worlds and perceptions beyond. And those cover philosophy, wisdom, truth, those long journeys, whether in body, mind, spirit, to find meaningfulness and essentially voicing our visions, and ourselves. So that root energy of Jupiter of Jupiter in Sagittarius, which is the ninth house energy, the whole archetype, it revolves around our belief systems, our perceptions, our patterns and concepts. And most importantly for today's subject, it involves publishing because books, they shift our realities for either as an individual or for humanity. And it also offers that author the vehicle to express this voice that Sagittarius is really built to express, to be heard. So today, Talk Cosmos guest speaker is William Knorr. He's an author of Fearless Writing, How to Create Boldly and Write with Confidence. Write with another book is Right Within Yourself, an author's companion. I think I combined two of these books, Fearless Writing, and the other is How to Create Boldly and Write with Confidence. But William is also the editor-in-chief of Author Magazine. And in addition to these books, he's been published in the New York Times, Writer's Digest, Edible Seattle, he is a Seattleite, Parent Map, and a featured blogger on the Huffington Post. William's a lecturer and coach, and he hosts a very popular podcast, Author to Author. So it's a great pleasure to say, hi, Bill. Hi, Sue. (laughs) Yeah. You know, the first time we met, and perhaps the few times, was this wonderful roundtable that you produce at East West Books, which is a wonderful Yolanda bookstore that's in Seattle that has great events and stuff so that's right I I used to do the I called it the author's round table and anyone who wanted could come and we would talk about the experience and the challenges of being an author that's right and they are many I have great aspirations and immediately you gave good sage advice you know follow really the depth so with your experience, it's on so many literature levels. I, I'm yeah. aware that you've written from plays 
to these yeah. books. And, you know, you bridge insights from talking to so many authors. Yeah. Yes. So, you know, right Great. off, go ahead. Yeah, right off the bat, just to express that publishing is connected with the Gutenberg press, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it back. yeah, it's like the ag, uh, uh, shifting our entire perception like agriculture did. So Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And so, uh, so I mean, publishing is so... I mean, the the written word, you know, I, just, I think about this sometimes, Sue, because I, I, I come from the arts and um, the writing is distinctive amongst all the art forms. And I play music. I love music. And I did theater for a while. I acted. And my wife's a painter and a illustrator. And all the art forms, whether it's the visual arts, the performing arts, involve the physical world in certain ways. In other words, if I'm acting, I'm using my body and my voice. If I'm playing the piano, I'm playing on the piano, like so the true. sound exists out in the physical world. Artists, for sure, sculpting or painting. But writing is distinctive because you are asked to render a three-dimensional temporal experience as being a human being. It's in three dimensions. You have five senses, you're seeing things and tasting them. Time is progress. It's this three-dimensional physical world, but you're asked to render it into nothing but thought because that's all writing is. It's thought. A sentence is a thought. Yes. And you're tr and and it's the experience. I mean, this is true of all the arts to some degree, but the art but the the audience's experience of the artwork is purely private. You read it all alone. And the reader can draw all their own conclusions. Now, this goes on with all art forms, really, although a lot of the audience doesn't understand their role in the experience of the arts. They, they often attribute more to the artist than, they, than is actually attributable. But the, for reading, it's such a private, personal experience. What's been down on the page now is brought to the individual, the reader, and they have their own totally unique experience of that book. And it, it doesn't surprise me that Gutenberg came, that the, that the creation of the Gutenberg Bible uh, or Bi Gutenberg Press, I think accelerated, though my history, my knowledge of history is a little sketchy around this. It, it, was, it was in sync with the Protestant movement. Yes, I it think. was actually. It? it was because it yeah. keeps coming up. And it had to do with Martin Luther, and he yeah, yeah. tagged on the door, you know, That's right. a, a, a knowledge. But I love what you're saying because I, too, am enthralled in, and worked with various art forms. And to signify this distinction really does clarify um, this act of, of writing, of publishing. You yeah. know, that it's personal. Yes. It, well, it, it is unique. And I think, um, I think it also points to that the human experience is... The, the role thought plays in the human experience is impossible to over, cannot be overstated. I think that thought is the beginning of all action. It is the um, source material of perception and how we get about in the world depends entirely upon how we perceive it. Mm -hmm. And we are so how, what we think about life so profoundly colors what we see, what we think we're seeing, 
Um, that the that the that it's, I think many people do not understand the role their own thinking is playing in what in the world they are experiencing. So much of life seems to be an outside-in experience, and yet, really, your life begins with thought, and that, and what, and and what you think, and what you believe, and the thoughts you are holding in your mind, so change what you are seeing. And that's one of the things I love about writing is it makes me um, get clear about my thought and what it is, um, and choosing the thoughts that I want to share and the thoughts that I don't want to share. Does that make sense? Absolutely. In fact, I was just reading about vision because Sagittarius has to do about that vision. It's the beyond. It's the, and right now we're in a seed time. We're just bringing this into a little astrology mm-hmm. that the sun out there in its orbital path and Jupiter in its orbital path happen to be just a few degrees or the same degree. They just met on Monday, and the first time at zero degrees in Sag since 1935. So we are in this seed time, we might say, for the next years. But this whole idea of vision all goes back to thought again and again. The sages keep trying to remind us of this. So you are 100% on target. Good. Good <laughs> yeah. vision. Yeah. Well, vision, you know, it's a, it's an interesting thing with vision that that I think when we talk about publishing— uh, which is a, you know, I, so I, I, I'm the editor of author magazine and, uh, I host author to author and I hope I used to host the author's round table. And my first book was right within yourself and author's I talk a lot about being an author and I, and I do draw a distinction between writing and being a writer and being an author, the two similar mm-hmm. roles, but writing is a very, is a, is a private act essentially. I mean, you do it alone. It's you and your muse or whatever it is you believe you in, you're in communication with when you're writing. But the ought to be an ought you become an author when you share your work with other people. Uh, and that really is where the trouble starts for, <laughs> for most people. That's the challenging part. And the reason is that that you, the author, the one who wrote the piece, has no control over what happens within the mind within the imagination of the reader it that is their experience and the so this sort of disconnect this sort of giving away of this thing you wrote and then waiting to to see what other people are going to think of it is the source of a lot of the the sort of magicalness of of being an author because when i hear from people who've read my stuff and it has moved them and inspired them. And maybe they put a quote of something I read up and they put it up on their computer. And that's, I mean, that is very magical to hear because this is something I wrote usually to help myself, to please myself, to inspire myself. And this thing that I wrote has traveled by the sort of magical conveyances of publication out to some stranger and then it's helped them. That's wonderful. So that's the great part of it. But uh, as, a, as a writer, we have no control over... Um, what happens out there to this work that we create. We, we can't control whether someone likes it or doesn't like it. And we have to really trust uh, that the piece will, that it will find the people it's meant to find, will have the experience it's meant to have. And a lot of writers, their anxiety, creative people, writers in particular, comes from not knowing what people are going to think of their stuff and not having any control over what people think of their stuff, whether they're going to like it or not, or give it reviews, bad reviews, rejection and acceptance. It's very challenging. It's a very challenging relationship to the audience. 
letting them have their experience of it. Well, does that, does that make sense? It does, because it's vulnerable, having written my, somewhat myself. When you say trust, that really spells it out. And the word surrender, I know with yeah. all art form, like painting, for instance, because I, too, as I say, am stuck with all this need to create and to express in some realm. And there is releasing your child, you might say, this production that you've done, and also wondering, particularly with writing, how much the depths that one needs to speak from to, you, you, is like a buffet being put out, you know, in the public. And uh-huh. then you're vulnerable. It's, it's, uh, so, you, so you're talking about the vulnerability you feel when you because you're putting something out that in many ways you believe you're not otherwise putting out that that you, it, it the perception is that the thing you're setting out there was sort of had been private maybe you hadn't even yes, known about it in right. a way until you put it out there right good, good is that point. what you're talking about yes yes i think so yeah and you know i it's really true uh, there is that sense that there's because, you know, I think it's partly related to the experience of like you go to like a dinner party or something. And a lot of people are always when we're talking in socially, publicly, maybe we you know, maybe you feel free to talk about astrology at a party. Maybe you don't. Maybe you think, well, do people want to hear about this? This is my thing. But is it their thing? Maybe they want to talk about politics. Oh, he wants to talk about baseball. I don't want to <laughs> talk about baseball. You know, whatever. But we often, you know, I'm kind of a spiritual guy and I have my beliefs I'm not kind of a spiritual guy. It's really what I am. But I know some people want to hear about it. Some people don't. And so I sort of always am curbing my what I want to say so it'll work within the group. I don't want to try and dominate things. Well, when you write, you got to lay it all out. You go to the page and say, this is what I believe. This is what matters to me. This is what interests me. And you lay it all out there. I and I I but I kept this idea that. It's what you're putting out there is less secretive than the, what I put out there that seems secretive is far less secret than I think. I, I feel that people sense it off of me, although they don't put words to it. And so mm-hmm. I can I write about myself all the time, Sue. That's all I write about <laughs> now. And so uh, I've learned that. Well, actually, I'm going to I'm going to go one step further with it, which is that when people read about when re- people read something I, I've written. I've learned that they're not reading about me, even if the one that even if the story they're mm. reading is about a guy named Bill Knauer, and even if it's about something that happened to me, when they're reading about it, they're really reading about themselves. They're always reading about themselves. They're always translating this experience that I've described for themselves, putting themselves through it, reflecting on what it means to them. And in that way, I realize I'm not vulnerable because all I'm doing is using my life and experiences from my life to offer up a metaphor that people can read to use to understand their life. Oh, that's and beautiful. And in that way, strangely, nothing actually, all I'm giving them, I hope, is a window into themselves. I don't actually want to give them a window into me. They don't care about me. <laughs> they don't care about me, really. <laughs> they care about themselves as well they should. Well, that is... And, but, Right. No, Does that make sense? It's beautiful. It's beautiful because if one stops and thinks about all the very uh, um, memorably powerful books or, or subjects that one has written and, and that changes and, and shifts one's whole thinking, 
Yeah. Yeah, that is true. It's it's this uh, artwork of of exploring this terrain and and putting it together into your own. Well, I guess it goes back to that Sagittarius idea of creating your belief system, and only oneself can do that. Yeah, and I want to talk about that belief system. It's really, I mean, I was talked about it some at the beginning, but it's and maybe your your listeners are maybe they hear that creating your belief system and they've heard that before, but. Take a moment to think about that. I, I, you've heard the phrase, seeing is believing. Oh, you wouldn't believe it until you see it. And it's true to some degree, but I think it's truer to say that believing is seeing. You will see what you believe. You will see. In fact, I remember I was walking down the street um, one day, and I thought, and all these people were passing me, and I thought, we're not walking down the same street Everybody is walking down their own street based on what they believe about the world. And so uh, a book uh, I've, I've written, on, I wrote a piece for the New York Times called um, called An Autistic Son's Lesson, uh, No One is Broken. And it was about how raising a kid on the autism spectrum helped me see a world without broken people. And it was a critical perceptual shift because if you believe there is such a thing as a broken person, you will see them. You'll see them in your son who behaves differently than other kids. You'll see it in the mirror if you haven't published a book and you think you should have. You'll see it in your father who says things to you. You don't think you should. You'll see it in the president or the vice president. You'll see it all over the place. But I couldn't raise my son if I thought there were broken people because all I would do is try and fix him. But the only way I could see him as not being broken, because especially when he was younger and his behavior was so dramatically different than other kids, um, the only way I could see him is not broken is if I understood that no one was broken, no one anywhere ever, no one, no one is broken. And so that began a practice for me of looking at the world and saying, what if no one is broken? Not anywhere ever. No one has ever been broken. Not me, not Sawyer, not nobody. And that was a perceptual shift. And now I didn't see broken people anymore. Or if I did see them, I would have to shift my, I would have to look at them. Why are they behaving that way? Why do they look broken? Oh, because they're afraid. Oh, because they're angry. Oh, and what is fear? Fear is just a perception. So you see, when I believed in broken people, I saw them everywhere. And when I decided there's no broken people, I don't believe in that anymore. I know there's a lot of people who look broken, but I think that's a misperception. And when I stopped looking for broken people, I didn't see them anymore. Does that make sense? So I, that was a belief that changed. Yes. That was a belief that changed. And I built that belief system. Oh, I'm sorry. And then I began seeing, and then I began to live in the world I was trying to create by fixing people. I lived in it by simply seeing it. Everything you're saying is absolutely right on for many reasons. I just went to a workshop with an astrological group called ESAR, or it's International Research for, I should know ESAR, for um, <laughs> societal, uh, it has a lot to, yeah, it's about astrology. Oh, my word, okay. Yeah, it's long. But, but at any rate, it's all about consulting and the skills, and that essentially is the whole idea to listen, and because and there's various ways of, of, of identifying what you've said, but, it, right. it, but I, it, I also had an aha moment thinking back to earlier times in my life when I wasn't always trying to uh, create something because then you're trying to fix, I mean, get things set up and whatnot. But right. looking at life and people or in the consulting idea is, is that you're listening and just what you've said is true, that rather than fixing, because 
people aren't broken. They're just at the stage and they're at the experience that they're at because our brain does think of this linear idea, okay, A to B, so if there's a problem, then that's how it's going to get worked on. But that eliminates this whole beautiful idea that, that it goes right back to what you were saying is that we believe what we see. There was a story somehow that I've heard that when some of the explorers came to the United, this nation or this. Oh, con- yeah, 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 yeah. I think I know people, the story about the boats. Yeah, that they didn't see the boats because they didn't think that there yeah. could be boats. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. And if you've ever lost something and you're, and you're sure it's lost. Yeah. Oh, God, I lost my. I know it. I lost it. I, if I lost my checkbook, I know it. And it can be right in the drawer. But if you believe you've lost it. Yeah. You can be like looking right at it. And it's not there. It's not theirs. In fact, I remember I have this hat that I go running, I, this running hat I, my wife bought me. And I stopped running for years, but I went back to running. And I was like, and now it's raining here in Seattle. I'm like, yeah. I, I, I got to get the hat again. And I'm like, oh, where is it? I can't find it. Oh, damn, I must have lost it. I must have lost it. I must have lost it. And so I just couldn't find it. So I had to wear this hat I didn't want to wear. <laughs> so I was like, I should get another hat. And then one day, just recently, I was staring at my closet, my coat closet where I normally keep the hat. And I looked up at the top shelf, which is cluttered with all kinds of stuff I should really just throw out. But there it is. And I said, God, that's a cluttered shelf. I'll bet you the hat's up there. And literally 15 seconds later, I spotted it. Uh-huh. There it is. Because I believed it was there. Well, belief <laughs> and it was. is amazing. This week... Yeah. Well, and I should mention to our audience that we are pre-recording this because I have some travel plans and it worked out well with Bill to do this. And so it was partly with the idea that I'm going to be traveling. Well, in those travel plans, I had, well, I thought I had to really get away. And And without going into any detail, I finally realized, no, life could be simpler because the point is, is that if you have, let's see, I'm trying to tie this together with belief and journeys because belief is a journey how you put it all together and this whole process whether it's physical like a hat or whether it's a trip you have to um uh it's well let's see i'm not bringing that together too well but it is but i think belief is a journey you know i think because when i talk to um writers i go around and i talk i give classes these workshops called fearless writing i teach fearless writing workshops where i really deal with the emotional challenges of being an author and there are many and uh one of the things writers have to deal with in terms of belief and the journey of writing a book it begins when you have this idea oh i, I want to write this book and so it begins and so you write the book and the journey begins when you start and it end and it well it never really ends but there's mm-hmm. there's all different stages of it you know there's the writing of the book and then there's the finding of a publisher and then when it gets published the journey continues as you go out and get to talk to people about it but all along and this is the part that's uh, that's very hard for so many beginning writers in particular. All you get, all you get, Sue, when you want to publish a book, when you want to write a book, all you get, all the evidence you get is the belief that what you're, the story you want to tell is valuable. And the only, re- only way you know it's valuable is that you think it's valuable. That's all you get. You don't get any other evidence. And that, that light the light of your interest has to be bright enough, has to be enough of a beacon for you to follow it. And you follow it all the way through the writing of it. You have to follow it through the publishing of it. Even when people say, I don't want it. No, this book shouldn't have been written. Blah, 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 as people will do. You follow it when you get good reviews. You follow it when you get bad reviews. 
That's all you get. The belief that this is worth sharing. How do I know it's worth sharing? Because it's interesting to me, because it's valuable to me. And I'm going to translate this valuable idea into something someone else can perceive. And the only light you get is your own interest, your own belief, your own. And really, you know what? Belief is even too weak a word. You know if you're, you don't believe you're interested. You are interested. There's no belief involved in it. It's experiential. You're interested. But you have to decide that that's enough. To, for you to follow it with no knowledge of where it's going to go, no knowledge of how many people are going to read it or where it's going to be published. You don't get to know that. All you get to know is that you care about it. And if that's enough for you to go on your journey, then you go. Oh. And I think that's true of all journeys. Oh, Bill, this is perfect. This is ideal. Just to let our audience know we're taking a just a short break here, but this is with William Knorr, author of author magazine he's written three books he's in seattle he blogs and check back with talk cosmos and we'll continue while we take a break from this week's edition of talk cosmos let's take a look at this cycle's archetype we are currently in the Yang period of Sagittarius, ruled by the largest of all planets, Jupiter, the Roman god, or Zeus by the ancient Greeks. By leaving a cycle based on power and powerlessness of life and death and regeneration, involving committed relationships, Sagittarius energy finds meaning for an expanded perspective and potential for actualization in their search for truth. As a mutable fire sign depicted by the centaur, Sagittarius is adventurous and seeks the beyond. Sagittarius travels to far places, physically and mentally, to find the truths of life. Celebrate your star energy blessings. Schedule a natal astrology chart consultation with Talk Cosmos host, Sue Rose Minahan. You'll learn to better understand what personally fuels your soul's seed direction. Sue focuses on your questions to connect you into your unique heart's desire and your true soul path's birth essence, including a recording and a copy of your chart. Schedule by emailing info at talkcosmos.com. That's info at talkcosmos.com. Hello, this is Marie O'Neill with Padma Life Coaching, and you're listening to Talk Cosmos on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM, where we discuss the meaningfulness of our roots in the stars. Bringing good vibes to the Puget Sound and the world, Alternative Talk, 1150. Hi again, Sue Rose Minahan with Bill Knorr. Here in Seattle, we're pre-recording on this great date for December 8th, and we're talking about publishing. And Bill has wonderful information because of experience writing and yeah. author. You know, I just looked at the paper. There are so many articles that just are springing up. For instance, here in Seattle, uh, Garfield High School, a teacher just gave his students monies so that $50 each, they could go to Elliott Bay Bookstore. And- oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. And buy, and he said, go. That's a lot of money. Now, 50 bucks each he gave them? Yep. 
It was. They bought Jeez. 450 books. What the hell? <laughs> All right. Yeah, so we could go and they, to discover the pleasure of buying books. That's very cool. And and be and to and to be able to yes read them because really this whole idea of the Sagittarius energy which we're talking about with publishing, but getting these thoughts these this uh, voice that wants and not just wants but needs has to get out and be expressed as part of the whole development of the of the prog- development of the ninth house and Sag Jupiter archetype is 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 it shifts the thinking as we know but but it the t- it, in a way it it doesn't have any time reference in one way it's immediate like right now there's all kinds of articles about democracy or right. about um i saw something else about a, a black uh priest the first black priest well we wouldn't know about that unless it was printed or what about uh Climate change, do we believe it or do we not? Which are, you know, put in. So, yes, he wanted students to learn about that, the value system of books. I I think that one of the, you know, one of the values, I think, of the bookstore, uh, the library, the bookstore, uh, that doesn't get discussed often enough is that the individual goes in and what are you interested in? It's all there. I mean, you can read, you know, I, I, I traveled for a long time in the world of fiction and fiction is broken down into almost infinite, infinite permutations of what they call genres, science fiction, steampunk, fantasy, high fantasy, low fantasy, funny fantasy, mysteries of like 17 different kinds of mystery novels, oh suspense and literature, all different types. And then nonfiction, almost any category can imagine has been written about. And so the person goes into the bookstore and what do you want to read about? What are you interested in? You know, there's not a more important question I think a person can ask themselves than what am I interested in? What is interesting to me simply because I'm interested in it? And bookstores are one great place to ask that question because there will be you can find something to answer it on some level, I think. And it it helps you learn who you are, what you're interested in reading. And, and I think and writers for sure, I feel like I learned that even deeper in, a, in the writing experience because I I'm saying not just what am I interested in, but how exactly do I want to say it? So it's another, you know, for instance, so I started writing. I wrote fantasy novels. I was very into fantasy, like Lord of the Rings sort of stuff when I was a kid. Loved it, loved it. And so I read it, read it, read it. And then the I simply had to write it because it isn't enough wasn't enough for me to read it. I wanted to feel that coming through me. I wanted to start from nothing and see what I could imagine in those worlds. And so the bookstore, the blank page, where we ask ourselves, what am I interested in? It's a great way to learn really who you are and what direction you want to head. It's a great question to ask. What am I interested in? What do I care about? Not because someone else cares about it, but just because I do. It's a great question. That uh, that really connects the opposite uh, access. It, it integ- integrates, and it, this is priceless, actually, just trying to say in a nutshell, but the Gemini Sagittarius archetype, because... Gemini is interest. It's like, what is my world? Oh, okay. You know, going out there and trying to gather information. And, but 
the Sag, uh, you know, getting this perception going. And it's so true. It's like a, the infinite realm of wishes, really, when you think about it. Sure. Yeah. Anything. Anything. The mind, anything. can Any thought can come floating across. It can, the sort of the light beam of your attention can land on absolutely anything. What do you, what do you want? What do you want? What do, what are you interested in simply because you're interested in it? Not because of what it will bring you in physical rewards, but what, but what the pleasure of focusing your attention on it. What is that? What is it that you're, it's a great question. And I think there's a, a lot of people don't ask it. I think artists have to ask it, but I meet people sometimes who are not really just want to survive. You know, they're really just trying to not be unhappy basically it's a kind of just like well i want a job and i want money and i think i want a partner but they just want the very basic things and it's that's not really the answer to the question what are you interested in it always goes beyond the dirty business of not dying you know there's something it's a deeper question and it really points you to something i think eternal within you whatever answers that something timeless yeah, the soul, part of that whole the soul. The soul, yeah. Yeah. You know, another area is, I've noticed, the audio. It says there's, yeah. how is that working with publishing? Is that? The audio. You mean like audio books? Yes, or podcasts yes, I'm sorry. Or... Audio books. Yeah, yeah I, I love audio books. I, I mean, I just love them from a practical standpoint. I could be driving or whatever and, and, and listening to them. Uh, it's a little different because the, you hear the translation of the person reading it. And so they bring a small inflection into it. And, and so they bring their own interpretation, which changes it ever so slightly. But it's still very pleasurable experience. I don't think it's a lesser experience. It's just slightly different because you are bringing yet another person into the equation. And no matter what that person does, they can't be a, they can't be as neutral as the page, you know, as the black, as the black and white on the page, but it's nice, you know, because if you, you have a little company, you know, you get, to, you get to be with another person hearing kind of, as you hear this, I mean, it, and maybe it goes back to having a book read to you by your oh, yes. mom, you know, yeah. having someone, I actually, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I'm, I'm, I kind of became a fan. I don't know. There's a book called Ulysses by the Irish author James Joyce. Yes. Very famous novel. Very difficult to read in, for many reasons, but a kind of a, a pivotal book in terms of the modernist approach to fiction. And I had tried it a couple times, and I just couldn't. I, was, I liked it, and then I was struggled with it. And then one day, I was, in, I, was, I was in my 20s, 24 or so, and I was living in L.A. I thought I wanted to be a screenwriter in those days, and I was living with my good friend Chris, who uh, wanted to be an actor at that point. He's now a writer, but he wanted to be an actor, he thought. And he had a beautiful, has a beautiful speaking, baritone speaking and reading voice. He was only in his 20s, but he already had this great, mature speaking voice. And I had lugged along a copy of Ulysses with me to LA, and he dug it out of my bag or whatever. He said, oh, look at this. And he started reading it a lot. I said, Bill, listen to this. Listen to what he's doing. This is so cool. He's like writing a chapter in headlines from a newspaper. And just listen to this. And he starts reading it to me. And that was when I understood the book, was hearing him read it mm. to me. He brought it to life in certain ways. And he did the same thing, actually, now that I think about it, with um, 
the book uh, Franny and Zoe. Uh, was it Franny and Zoe? No, Raise High the Roof Beam Carpenters by J.D. Salinger, which is an odd little novella. And he sat down and just read it to me over the course of two nights. He read the whole story to me. And I just loved it. And he brought that language to life. But to hear it, see the thing about having books read to you, this is true. If you go to a book reading, and you know, oh, like, yes. a, like an Elliott Bay book, yes. like a bookstore, these can be very dodgy experiences uh, because it doesn't always translate the 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 crowd of people listening to a book. It, it's a, such a private experience. But having one person read it just to you and you sinking into the sort of meditative state that you have to go into when you read, allowing yourself to just listen to the whole thing, that works for me. That's very close to the reading experience. I don't know what all that means, but that's those are my takes on, on the audio portion well, of... Uh, they're valuable. They're valuable. Well, and it does... Yeah, it does reestablish that whole beginning journey and the imagination too. Oh, it's the critical. visuality and yeah. using more senses and et cetera. So, because really, the many Actually, ways. Actually, can I speak to that yeah, just a second please. about the imagination? This is a story I like to tell, but it's fascinating. Is true. So my, I mentioned my son Sawyer. So he was someone who struggled with a lot of different things, but he was doing school. He was doing his best, and he was in sixth grade, and. Uh, he was in English class and they had assigned him, he's a kid who didn't like to read, but they had assigned him a deeply literary lesbian retelling of Cinderella. And which is fine. It was beautifully written, but man, it was dense and it was really ornately written and slow, <laughs> but by God, it, I was his dad and I'm going to do a good job. And I'm going to sit with him and we're going to read this thing aloud. So, okay. So we sit down there and I'd say, okay, sir, you read to me and I'm going to be with you. And okay. So he opens the book up and he starts reading. She got on the horse and then the horse drove and then she got her bow and then she shot the arrow. And so he's reading just like that. And I'm just starting to fall asleep. It's so boring to listen to, but I'm trying to be a good dad help my son with this, my poor kid. But he's reading. I finally just stopped him and I said, Sawyer, look it. When you read this book, when you're reading this book to me, are you reading it like a, like a grocery list? Like you read every word like she, that's a word, went, that's a word. Or are you picturing the story in your imagination as you're reading? He said, I'm just reading it like a laundry list. And I said, <laughs> then you're not reading because the, the 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 far more important part of reading is not the words, but the imagination, yes. the bringing them to picturing them in your mind, the bringing them to life, whether it's a story or even if it's a work of nonfiction, a work of ideas, you still have to sort of picture, conceptualize those within your own imagination. Reading is not a passive experience. It is a highly active experience. And every writer I know, with a very few exceptions, began as avid voracious readers because that was the first place they learned to write because that was the place they brought their imagination deliberately into focus and made it deliberately create things they were helped along by the author who gave them the words and the scenes and the characters but every author knows they leave tremendous room for the reader to fill in what they started and so every young reader is learning to use the muscle of their imagination deliberately yeah, that, reading is an active experience. Oh, you have said this 
just ideally because it goes right back to vision, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, it allows, the, you know, they're connected, which is, again, back to Sagittarius and what we're in. It's, it really, it is that journey as we've been talking about it. It's a, a whole process. You know, some other articles here that just because they bring up different ideas of how publishing different items, like, for instance, there's, uh, well, there's one woman who, she just passed, and she would go to corporates meetings, and she printed out, she was always interested in going to these meetings, according to the article, and asking all kinds of information about the corporate, how they were run, and et cetera, okay. ahead of her time. And, but she would publish or print out a little booklet with all her thoughts and whatnot. And, and that book actually gave her a press, uh, you know, to the White House, a press, what would it be? Press called? pass? Yes, yes. So, what? you know, in some ways. Really? Uh, yeah. Her name is Evelyn Davies. Name sounds familiar. Yeah, she just died. It was just in okay. Seattle newspaper. Well, somehow in the last couple of weeks because I've been going through all of it. But really, when it gets down, I know that there's another uh, publishing, oh, a big company that goes around to different cities trying to get people to, to sign up with them. And so I went. It was a couple of days free. It was, I think, last summer, summer before last. And the idea was is that they were saying that the books are really like your calling card. Yeah, well, that's yeah, that's a, that's one really that's that is one approach to the book to books, uh, the uh, book as uh, for especially for nonfiction writers, that's often the case. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, but and, 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 and go ahead. Well, go ahead. I'm also wondering from the writer's standpoint. Well, like you, you've already said some uh, great information about this whole journey of of, of expressing, and that it's really for the um, the reader. To interpret, to to personalize yeah, yeah. into yeah. their building structure, but as far as the author too, um, the I'm, I'm wondering, and I'm trying to say how to how to to ask this because I'm wondering what I want to ask really, but it, that that uh, growth process of of um, of of knowing what the beginning is, the middle, and the end in a sense, but especially not so much for fiction, but maybe more for... So let me say this about nonfiction and books and calling, the kind of concept of the book as a calling card. And I think that one of the important things that authors, it was helpful for me, is when you become an author, what you're saying to the reader. So I, one of the courses I'll teach at uh, writer's conferences, one of my favorite classes to teach, and I might actually write a book about this. We'll see. I might talk to my publisher about it. It's called Fearless Marketing. Because writers Ooh. hate to market, <laughs> but they have to market a lot of them, and they don't like to do it. They want to sit alone in their room and write their stories. Yeah. They don't want to market. So I help them deal with the emotional challenges of. I don't tell them how to market, but I help them get over hating marketing. So, and one of the ways I do that is is one because one of the things writers don't like to do is say to people, "Buy my book." Come on, oh, yeah. buy my book, and they feel it's 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 obnoxious. They don't want to be salespeople. They don't like. They feel like it's bragging. It's kind of braggadocious, oh, yeah. and so they don't like all that. And so, one of the things I think is very helpful is to understand that your book is simply your offering of an opportunity to have a particular conversation. 
You're offering readers an opportunity to take part in a particular conversation. So I wrote a book called Fearless Writing. Is fearless writing about writing? Not really. I don't give a lot of writing, like solid how-to writing advice, but there's a lot of advice in about how to get over your fear of writing, how to forget about the reader so that you can write. And there are many opportunities opportunities to question your talent, question your value. And as soon as you do, well, you can't write. And so it's a book about the emotional challenges of, of writing. It's a spiritual self-help book for writers. Well, do some people want to talk about that aspect of writing? And some do not. Some just want to know how to write a good sentence, how to get a snappy opening, how to write, how to write a book proposal and so on. But for the people who are interested in the emotional challenges of writing, well, they could buy the book, they could go to my workshop, they could work with me one-on-one, whatever they want, but it's a conversation. That's one conversation to have about writing, and that's the one I want to have. And there's a lot of people, it turns out, who want to have that conversation too. So whatever, so you want to have a conversation about astrology. You're interested in that. That's the conversation, one of the conversations in, you're interested in having. And, in, and if you were to write a book about that on your particular take on astrology, because there's a lot of people who are interested in it, but everybody's interested in different ways. Well, you would phrase that book. That book would be an opportunity to have this kind of conversation about this subject. And if you look at it that way, I think it's a very friendly relationship to the concept of sales and promotion and marketing. It's really just saying to people, hey, we could, it's like being at a big party. You know, people over there talking about sports, people over there talking about politics. This woman over here is talking about astrology. This guy over here is talking about the spiritual side of writing. What do I want to talk about? I could talk about any of these things. Oh, it sounds you, fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. That's a good party, right? Yeah, well, it sounds fun because you can really just uh, ride out on the carpet, it seems, in your own mind. But And when you talk about the, the emotional part, it reminds me back to the beginning, as you were saying, that, that writing is that thought process that is different of, than the physical. And, but it also brings in all that, for some people, more the emotion you know, oh, it's the whole oh you know, and I'm sorry, I said thought, but I really thought and emotion are one in the same for me because every thought carries with it yes. is is, a, is like a vessel of felt is a felt is a for feeling. And in fact, when I teach writing, one of the things I say is no one cares what happened to you. We only care what what it felt like when something was happening to you. Writers are feeling merchants. That's what we're selling. And a thought is really a way of looking at the world and looking at the felt experience of life. So absolutely, you are, as a writer, if I don't know what I'm, the felt reality of what I'm trying to write, I don't know what I'm trying to write. It's never purely intellectual. Okay. Does that make sense? Oh, guys? yes, 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 yes. Yeah. In fact, I had a great thought that just kind of went right out the window, but that's um, that's okay. I mean, because it is so solid. <laughs> I mean, it right. really is. It's it's all interwoven in there. It, yeah. uh, it, and dealing with that does take some... Uh, you know, I wanted to ask before we... Your podcast, when is that... How does a person the, tune in? Okay, so it? it's called Author to Author. So it, it goes live in the in the on the internet every Tuesday, almost every Tuesday. I'll take a couple of weeks off in December, but every Tuesday at two thirty. Uh, but you know, most I think listens happen uh, through on archives, and you can listen oh, to it sure. on iTunes. And so you can go on to iTunes and grab it there, and they're all in there, all two hundred or three hundred shows, whatever they are. 
And uh, every week I do a conversation with a different writer about everything. You know, what I mean, we talk about writing and life. So we talk about their lives, their what it takes to face a blank page and say, what do I want to put there? And so, yeah, I've been doing that for several years now. And I think, like I said, I got about 300 shows in there and they're all and iTunes is probably, but it's on blog talk radio. Uh, if you want to find it live, uh, but if you Google author and the number two author, actually the best thing to do is go on WilliamKnauer.com. That's the hub of my internet empire. Yeah. So everything about me is there. And author magazine, my books, my coaching, everything. And it's all there on, on WilliamKnauer.com. And for those people too, just to remind, you could go to Talk Cosmos because I have bills under oh. William. Yeah, he's right. listed there with it and and I mentioned about the author to author but maybe I'll add on that it's on blog talk radio at 2.30s on Tuesdays 2.30 p.m. Pacific time oh okay that's right PT time yeah Yeah, because I I have listeners worldwide oh boy well this is important because communication oh that's right now what was that question because it had to do about the the voice that's what I wanted to ask Uh, because we have a few minutes here you know finding the voice for an yeah. author in that whole process, like you were saying about relating a little bit about it, but uh, the story. And I suppose that really gets back down to experience and education and also just connecting with that feeling. Because Voice? Where does voice come from? Yeah. Yeah, well, voice, I think voice is, a, is an expression of your of what you're interested in. Really, it comes across in because it, it, it's if you think about it it's y, y, your your voice is going to be present in every word that you put down or every word that you speak. And so it's really a, an expression of your point of view, what you value. And so it'll be expressed in the subject matter you choose and then it'll be expressed in how you look at that subject matter, what you choose to include in that subject matter and not include, what you choose to focus on or not focus on. So when people speak, they're speaking voices, they emphasize certain things, they don't emphasize other things. Their voice rises or falls depending. And so it's really an expression, if you wanna find your voice as a writer, find what you really care about. It's deep agreement with yourself. That's your voice, it's deep agreement with yourself. Well, that's not sh- not shouted, not whispered, deep spoken agreement with yourself. That's perfect. Yeah. Well, I thank yeah. you so much because uh, one can begin to think about teaching. Now, is it teaching? No, it's about the experience. So thank you. You're welcome. Yes. For next week, we'll just take a few minutes because we're closing, not closing immediately, but just to make sure that people are aware, there'll be the last week of Sagittarius, and at this point, potentially, Shannon Hayes will be rejoining me. She spoke much earlier during Gemini, and we're going to talk about law, because law is involved, and there's many, many, many other factors with Sagittarius, which is the beyond, and and it's the collective social Reason and part of me keeps wanting to teach it, but at the moment I'll just acknowledge that and to remind people that today is William Knower, an author of several books. In fact, I have one of his books that I dearly love, and that is the I think it's the author's comp- uh, right within yeah, probably, yourself. Yeah. yeah, yeah, an author's companion. They're just 
ideal uh, it, little synopsis of, of the promote and, and just sort of connect oneself to the whole writing experience. Because without sharing our thoughts on some avenue of communication, which is what we do as, in the human species, uh, we can elevate. We can elevate our dreams and we can elevate our visions and we can elevate our beliefs, whether it's how we consider any of the issues that we are confronted with in this world or else how to integrate that soul as you were mentioning, so do look at at the um, anyway. I'm I'm spattering here. <laughs> Thank you. And, you know, check out Talk Cosmos and 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 Bill Canoer too. Yeah. Well, Bill, we have about let's see, one minute, I think. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So as, here, here's what I'm going to leave your re- listeners with. Okay. If, you, if your listeners are interested in ever being a writer, you will, you will open the portal to your own genius the moment you stop caring what anybody thinks about your stuff, the moment you stop worrying whether your ideas are good enough. In fact, I one of the worst questions a writer can ask themselves is, do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes? Am I good enough? I found my own genius, or I found the window into it, because I think everybody has one. When I sat down and thought, everybody has what it takes. Everybody's good enough. And I'm not going to worry what anybody thinks about it. What do I want to write about? That's where your genius is. Get out of other people's heads. Get out of their heads. You don't know. And here's the other thing. You don't care what anybody thinks about your stuff. You really don't. You want to share it. But the fact that other people like or don't like your stuff can't change the fact that you do. So I, care about the fact that you do and let that be enough. Oh, boy. Thank you. That is the Sag Arrow. Yes. Out yeah. ahead. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. You're welcome. <laughs> thank you. Okay. Thank you for listening to Talk Cosmos, the show where Sue Rose Minahan and guests unveil astrology's ancient archetypes that continually build the collective experiences in our unconsciousness. Be sure to tune in next Saturday at 6 p.m. to continue finding your roots in the stars. Seating audio was via a Skype call.